Well, good morning. How are you? Good? Good. Hey, before we jump into the sermon, I, I want to just share something. This, this past week, we had Eric Steckel back. He came and spoke to us. He's, uh, he's from Washington, D.C. He's had uh, a show on CBN for a number of years, works really deeply in Washington, is probably one of the, really probably one of the, the top ten experts in terrorism uh, around the world. But he walked in, and I, I've, known, I've known him for five years probably. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. Some of you were here for that night. But I walked him around, gave him the tour. He hadn't been in this building. And we walked uh, by the prayer wall. And as we walked by the prayer wall, he, he stopped. And I could tell visibly just watching him that he was affected by the prayer wall. And I go, what's going on? And he goes, you know, I, I sense such a powerful presence of God. I've, he'd just flown in from uh, Jerusalem on Saturday. And he just stopped and he stared at it. And he said, uh, he said you know, I, I want to do a TV special on your prayer wall. Because I've not seen anything like this. I, I speak all around the world. I've never seen anything like this. But more than that, I've never felt what I feel when I come into this place. And it's such a confirmation because we have, for years now, for the two years we've been in this building, we have seen how God has used that prayer wall. And in my mind, they're, they're burned the images of little kids. You know, someone took pictures of our children's ministry out there because, you know, Pastor Karen Scott, they take them to the prayer wall, and, they, and I see those little kids just with their hands on the wall, and I see their little faces, and I, and I realize we're raising up a generation of people who understand how to pray. Something I didn't understand when I was their age at all, and maybe, maybe you had the benefit of having parents who taught you that, but, but mine didn't understand that, to teach me that. And so I, I sent that out to our prayer ministry. Uh, every one of those prayer uh, requests that are in there, they're pulled out, they're recorded, prayed for, and then put back in the wall so they stay there. You know, people are so concerned. I, I don't know how many people have said to me, they're so concerned what are we going to do when it gets full? I said, let's worry about that when it happens. We can build more wall. Amen? But when I sent out to the prayer ministry that, you know, that they wanted to, that Eric wanted to do a 20-minute special on that prayer wall, and we, we really sensed that. Tammy and I sensed that, and we, we actually uh, just kind of started this thing called the prayer wall movement. And already we've seen two churches that are going to do the same. They're going to add prayer walls into their church. One has already done it, and the other one is going to do it. But, um, but Odette King put this in an email last night uh, to the prayer team, and, I, and, and it was so good I just wanted to share it. She wrote, Influence Church is God's church. It was conceived through pain, prayer, suffering, and sacrifice years before it was birthed by the Holy Spirit and established by God on a hill in Anaheim, which Anna in, in German means house, but Anna means I in Aramaic, so Anaheim means my house. Influence Church is God's house on a hill, and Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The prayer wall stands as a permanent and prominent symbol of that. It signals that God is firmly planted in this house and that prayer is a direct invitation and mode of communication of his holiness. 
Also, one should not be surprised at all the reports of miracles, answered prayers, and excitement over, over them that are woven throughout our experiences. We do not beg God for miracles because the miracles already happened when Christ died on the cross. We simply let the resurrection power of Yeshua manifest among us in the house of prayer. We are humbled and full of gratitude that God has allowed us to be in community and stewardship of the gift that we call Influence Church. Let us praise him for he is holy, holy, holy. Let's pray. Father, we are, we are in your house. And you desire to do something in this house and also in this temple that resides in this house right now. We ask for your spirit to come, and God, as we are engaged in this message called the invisible war, we know, Father, that there is a war going on, but God, the battle has already been won. We are more than victorious because we didn't have to fight the battle. Jesus, you fought the battle for us, and you are king of kings and lord of lords, and you are predominant, and you are, you are sovereign and majestic in your holiness and in your power, and you walk among the seven golden candlesticks of your church, and periodically we, we feel the presence of your robe as it wisps by us, and we know that we are in your midst and in your presence. Father, we ask you to speak to us today, and we ask you to challenge us. We ask you, God, to excite us spiritually and mentally, and God, that we would, uh, we would be stronger and better because uh, we have sought you with our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Well, I, I love to watch headlines that are related to our journey as believers on planet Earth. And one headline caught my attention this week. Uh, it said this, the Holy Bible on list of challenged books at libraries. It found itself just below the challenge book of Shades of Grey. It is the first time in American history that the Bible has, been, has made the top ten challenged books. It signals something in our world. It is the first step toward censorship. It is the first step toward saying, no Bible for us, no God for us. It is what the last verse of the book of Judges says when it said, and there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own sight. The king of the universe is God in his word. And when the community and when society and when a nation says, let's look seriously at this, and I watched the interview of those couple of librarians from the New York Public Library as almost with glee they held up shades of gray and then the Bible and said, these are both challenged. These are both books that are challenged along with eight other books. But I'm here to tell you today that the Bible contains the mind of God and the state of man. It is the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is a traveler's map. It is the pilgrim's staff. 
It is the pilot's compass and the soldier's sword. It is the Christian's charter. Here paradise is restored, heaven is opened, and the gates of hell are disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, the glory of God is its end, and it should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide defeat. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, a river of pleasure. It is given to you in life, will be opened at the judgment, will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy contents. To God be the glory. The Bible says, Thy word, O Lord, is fixed in the heavens and is eternal. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides Forever. It was with God's eternal word, word that he spoke the worlds into existence, and it will be at the judgment when he returns out of his mouth a sharp two-edged sword with which he will ju- rule and judge the nations. You see, the enemy, the invisible war we're in, the enemy seeks to steal your divine inheritance. Part of your inheritance is the word of the living God, and the enemy wants to take it from you, just as he did in Adam and Eve, and he said, has God really said that? to you. And so the question comes in our mind, has God really spoken? Or maybe a more contemporary, relevant version of that in our day is, is that really what it means? Don't you think that was given to that generation and we need to interpret it and change it so that it fits our cultural relevance that we live in today? So we're always wanting to trifle with its contents. We're always wanting to rearrange it to make it acceptable to us. It's not what God has said is wrong. It is is what's wrong with us makes it unacceptable. So God wants us to look into the word. There was a king by the name of Asa, and Asa did that which was good in the sight of God, and we're going to study about him in a little bit. But when the enemy comes, he also wants to divert your attention so that you always find something is more interesting than the Word of God. How many times have you been drawn away from the Word of God for something that you knew was of lesser importance, but it occupied, it amused you more? You know, we use the word amusement. We don't really understand much about it. It actually comes from a Greek word. The word muse means to think. When you put A in front of it, it means no thinking. Amusement is when you don't have to think. It's the same thing when we put A in front of theus. Theus is where we get our word theology. So when we put A in front of it, we have an atheist. That means no God. When we put an A in front of Gnostic, the word gnosis is the word knowledge. When we put an A in front of it, it means no knowledge. There may be a God, but I don't have knowledge of God. So you understand that we're living in a world in which amusement becomes the preoccupation of mankind, and we know more about the angels, we know more about the Lakers, we know more about those things than we know about God. Because they amuse us, we don't have to think, and we certainly don't have to, we don't have to deal with issues in our spiritual man, in our life, we don't have to deal with matters of conduct or character because we're amused. Like Neil Postman wrote a book entitled, We Are Amusing Ourselves to Death. We're literally dying a little bit at a time and not realizing what's going on. But he also, the enemy wants to control your emotions. We all have to admit it's, it's a lot more fun to laugh and be amused than it is to think deeply about ourselves. And yet God pushes us into that. But I've got some good news for you because God is working behind the scenes on your behalf. 
You might look at your life and go, what is up, what is going on, and how am I going to make it through this? I want you to know God is working on your behalf. You're his child. You're a son or a daughter of the living God. And while you may not see it, God is at work. He is turning situations around for your benefit. You know, have you ever been in the middle of something, you go, God, I don't know what you're doing. He goes, I do. Would you trust me? Yes, God, but I'd like, to, I'd like you to move a little quicker. You ever had that? God, I, I love you and I trust you, but you're a little bit slow for my timetable. But God is right on time. Everything is working according to God's power. You see, God's power and resources are being moved into place for you right now so that you will experience the favor of God. How many of you have made this statement? Have you heard these words come out of your mouth? I want you to be honest and raise your hand. I don't know if I can take any more. Anybody ever said that in your lifetime? Just raise it up and hold it for a second. I don't know if I can take any more. Okay, now some of you have never had that experience. Oh, God, I pray that they will have that experience before the week is out. Or come to a place of honesty. I have sat with two or three people this last week who have made this, this statement out of their mouth. I don't know if I can take any more. And I looked at them and I said, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Because God's power and God's resources are being moved into place for you, and that's really good news. You may not feel it. You may not know it. But God is opening the windows of heaven for you. God wants to pour out for you more than you could ever imagine. Now let's look at King Asa. We're going to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 14. And the first thing we understand about this king was he did what was good and what was right in the sight of God. So let's look at the Bible. It says here that Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Now the word, the word there that you see, the word good, means that which is pleasant. You ever done something pleasant in life? That's what King Asa did. You know, it's a pleasant thing when you, when you go somewhere and you open a door from someone and, and, they, and you just, you're just experiencing a, a sense of just gratitude and hospitality, and, and, and that's what it means to be good. It means to extend kindness even when you don't want to extend kindness because you know it's a good thing to do. King Asa did also that which was right, meaning that which was straight, that which was lined up with the kingdom of God. He said he did it in the eyes of the Lord his God. Maybe nobody saw that you were good and you were right, but God saw. And when you do it in the eyes of God, God says, you know, I like that about you, and I'm going to bless you because of that. And it says he removed the altars of the foreign gods in the high places. The whole, the whole country had become filled with all these foreign gods. It says he broke down the sacred pillars and he cut down the wooden images. You know, there's a principle in the kingdom. It goes like this. You have to practice subtraction before you practice addition. And once you learn addition, then God can practice multiplication. You see how that works? There are things that have to come out of your life before God can add things into your life. And once you add things in there, you learn the principle of addition. Now you can start practicing multiplication. Because you see, in God's kingdom, he loves to add, but he loves to multiply. So let's go on. We strive for excellence in a few things. You know, sometimes we try to be master of everything. We try to think we can do this, do that. But you see, King Asa said, you know, I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to do what was good and right in the eyes of God. Have you ever tried to learn how to do everything and you just get frustrated? You go, I can't do everything. 
You see, you can't do everything well, but work on being the best that you can be. You are the best version of you that will, was ever made. What if you just become the best you? Well, I don't, like, I don't look like that person, and I don't sing like that person. I can't teach like It doesn't matter. They can't do things you can do. King Asa couldn't do everything. But you know what he did? He said, I'm going to do what I do best. Don't compare yourself to others. How many times have we done that? I was talking to a friend this week, and I said, do you think people are happier before mirrors? Because then you just thought everybody else was, was messed up. But you didn't think about you. You just thought, you know, I'm fine. If I don't look at me, I think I'm okay. Right? How about pictures? You think we were happy before we had pictures? You think they're a blessing? Go back and look at some old pictures, and you go, my Lord, what happened? Right? There are things that we just compare ourselves to. We need to rejoice in the small victories. You know, sometimes we see the things that are so big in our life, and we go, I'll never accomplish that. Don't worry about that yet. Start on the small things and work your way up. Begin to enjoy the benefit. Build the confidence into your life that you've done something good, that you've accomplished something. You ever, you ever like to make a list and then scratch it off? You know why? Because you're building confidence. You're saying, look, I can do something. And you scratch it off, and you, you got your list, and you like to keep the list. You ever like to keep the list? You know, instead of just, you know, if you do it on your computer and delete it, you don't get the fun out of it. But you scratch out, look what I accomplished. You see, you build your confidence a little at a time. And then, you know what, when you're faithful in the little things, God will bless you with bigger things. Oh, you did good with that. I'm going to give you something more. I'm going to bless you with that. It's a principle of the kingdom of God. Then you've got to remove the distractions. Let's go to 2 Kings again, chapter 14. And it says that he commanded Judah to seek the Lord. You see, he had to remove something before he could add something. Once you got rid of the false religion in the land, now you can say, now you need to seek the Lord God of your fathers. And he calls upon us to remember our heritage. They say, you've got a rich heritage. America, you have a rich heritage for God. Family, you have a rich heritage. Maybe you weren't raised in a Christian home. Maybe you, you, had, you, know, you just didn't have people that were just praying over you and loving you and all of that, but you can start a new tradition today, amen? You can say, we can start this today, this heritage of the Lord, we can begin. And it says, and to observe the law and the commandments. He also removed the high places and the incense altars and all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was quiet under him. You ever just long for quiet? God, I just, want, I just want quiet. I just want peace. A couple of weeks ago, our, our son and daughter-in-law bought a, a house down in San Diego, and so we went down to keep the kids while they moved them in because you know what, what little kids can, can do in a moving day. You know, they just, they're, they're not helpful, right? They think they can lift everything, move everything, and all they really do is kind of get in the way and have needs. And so we went down there, and we got a little... Uh, a little hotel. We found a great deal, uh, last-minute hotel, and uh, had a little fireplace in it and had one bed, so the boys were supposed to be on the floor. But when I woke up in the middle of the night, I don't know what happened, but there's two boys in the bed, one of them feet toward my head, you know, and I'm going, they're kicking around, flopping around, you know. And I was just sitting there thinking, you know, you know, and it was so quiet because it was out away from the highway. I kind of woke up in the morning, and I thought, and I heard birds First I said, what is that? What is that? 
And then you just got that quiet. I want you to think about how God can bring quiet even in the midst of a storm. The quiet. Sometimes you have to refocus your life on what's really valuable. Let me tell you a story. When I was in college, I bought a new backpack. There was a new backpacking place that opened up, and I went down there, and I got a new backpack. And, and uh, believe it or not, um, I used to do this all the time. We used to snowshoe up, and I lived in Colorado, and we'd snowshoe up, and we'd camp in the wintertime and just do crazy stuff that I have no intention of ever doing again. But I bought this new backpack, and I was so excited because it was bigger than the old one I had, and so uh, I just began to pack stuff in it. I was surprised how much I could put in there. And I kept packing it and packing it and packing it. It's kind of like when you go on a vacation and you get a big suitcase and your goal is to fill it. And my goal is to fill up the backpack. And so I began to fill the backpack and I was so excited. And I went to lift it and I thought, wow, it's really heavy. And, but I was ready because we were going to hike the next day up Long's Peak in Colorado, which is a 14,000-foot mountain. Now, the problem is there's five miles of hiking before you ever even begin to climb. But you know what I did? I missed the point. You see, the goal wasn't filling the pack. The goal was climbing the mountain. Now, it's true. I would have been prepared. I had enough in there for an entire Boy Scout troop to survive for months. But as we began to walk up that mountain, the only record I was setting that day was carrying more stuff than anybody else on the mountain. I got about halfway up, and my friend, his name was Chip. I don't know what his real name was. Everybody called him Chip. I said, Chip, this backpack's really heavy. He said, well, get rid of something. He said, let's eat everything in there. I said, well, I'm still going to be carrying it. Just going to carry it in here instead of back there. And I'm looking through it, I'm thinking, what can I leave? What can I abandon? And everything was really good. And before the day was over, guess what we did? We ended up turning around and going back. Because you see, the principle is this. We can get so weighed down with stuff that we don't need that we never reach the top. What in your life is weighing you down to a point to where you say, wow, it's just too much stuff. If I could just get that stuff out of my life, how much easier my life would be, how much, how much more fun it would be. I remember one time my, my dad was uh, 96 when he died. He was 50 when he had me, so he kind of started a little bit late. But um, he was kind of a character, about 94, something like that. He got some Alzheimer's. And I used to know what that was, but I forgot. Um, but he got a little Alzheimer's, and, uh, and most of the time he knew the family, you know, and sometimes he wouldn't. But I remember going in there one day, and I went in, and Mom was at home, and I, I went in, and I said, hey, Dad, uh, how you doing today? He, he looked around. He got a little sheepish, and he said, they're trying to get the family fortune. Well, I didn't even know there was one. I'm getting excited now. You know what I mean? There's money to be had in this household? This is awesome. And I go, really? Well, who's trying to get it? And he began to name some people. I thought, man, this sounds real. I said, now, where is this money? He said, well, I've got some in New York, and I've got some in St. Louis, and I've got some in Denver. And it made sense because he'd lived in all three places. And I said, well, Dad, how much money is there? And he looked around to make sure nobody was looking. He spoke very quietly, and he says, $1 trillion. I said, Dad, that's a lot of money. He said, yes, it is a lot of money. 
And I said, how did you get all that money? He said, I just tried to make a little bit on every transaction. So I went home and I told mom, I said, mom, I got good news and bad news. I said, mom, all of your money problems are over. You're, you have a trillion dollars. The bad news is the only guy who knows where it is has Alzheimer's. And he ain't talking. Amen? Well, sometimes, you know, you got a fortune and you don't know what it is. You know, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, it says, Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together. You know, we can do more together than we can do apart. You ever notice how you can help somebody and, and then they'll turn around and help you? I heard someone say, if you help enough other people in life get what they want, then they will help you in turn get what you want in life. There's something about extending that, and, and, and when Paul was writing this, he says, we need to strive together for the faith of the gospel. The faith that you hold dear, strive together, embrace it, and, and, and make it your own. And then don't be terrified in any way by your adversaries, which to them is proof of perdition, but to you salvation and that from God. You know what? When I'm not terrified in the midst of struggles and problems, you know what it does? It strengthens me, amen? Doesn't it strengthen you? And you just go, you know what? I was courageous in that moment, and God blessed me in that moment, and look what God did in that moment. And guess what? Then the adversary says, well, I can't get under his skin. I can't get under her skin. What am I going to do? And you begin to rise up in confidence in those little things you get mastery over. You then become a master over greater things. And God says, let me, I can trust you with more. Let me give you a little bit more. Let me take you here and show you this. We need to close the gates so that we can prosper. In 2 Chronicles 14 and verse 6, it says, And he built fortified cities, that is, King Asa in Judah, for the land had rest. And this particular word in the Hebrew means to be idle. The rest, the land was at rest. We'd say it was at Sabbath. It was just at rest. There was nothing happening in the land. And he had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Same word, but we're going to see a different word toward the end here for rest. So the Lord had given him rest. The Lord had given the land rest. Therefore, he said to Judah, let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us. There is a principle. In peace, you prepare for war. In war, you prepare for peace. This is true. If you're going through peace right now, prepare for war. If you're going through war right now, get ready because peace is on, your, on the way. Now look what it says here. Because we have sought the Lord. Why did we get to build? Why is the land at rest? Because we have sought the Lord. You know, when I read that, I thought, you know, God, I just want to seek you more. I want to search you out more, God, because we sought the Lord, our God, and we have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side, so they built and prospered. Now, let me show you something. The word rest here in verse 7 is a different word. You know what the word here is? The word here is means to sit down and draw a breath. It was used of a camel after a long ride. And they use this word in the Hebrew, the, the, the camel would kneel down and it would breathe because the labor was over. It's if God says, you've done enough for a little while. Now what I want you to do is I want you to sit down and let me take over. I want you to draw in some fresh air. I want you to get a new perspective on life. I want you to put a smile on your face. I want you to put some joy in your heart. 
I want you to begin to sing when you used to frown. I want to hear laughter out of you. I want to see something different about you. Ever notice how contagious laughter is? We were at a restaurant the other night, and there was a lady. You know, there's, there's, have you ever heard somebody just cackle? And at first it's annoying, and then it's funny. And I'm sitting there, and I hear this cackling going on behind me. You know, and at first I'm thinking, oh, seriously, lady. I mean, I didn't say it out loud. I just, I thought it. Now, don't look at me like you're spiritual. You've said the same thing. You know what I mean? So I'm sitting there. I'm thinking, you know, seriously. And then the more she cackled, the more funnier it got. And I find myself cackling. I'm laughing. I'm going, this is funny. It's contagious when there's joy in your heart. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to do something. Some of you, it's going to be really tough to do. Are you ready? How many are ready for this assignment? Raise your hand. Same group that was on the other group. Okay. Some of you, I will not raise my hand for any reason, all right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look, at the per- look to your left, look to your right. I want to put a big smile on your face. Just look at the person, just smile. How'd that feel? Some of you look like 10 times better already. Why does that feel good? Huh? It just feels good. You just go, it just, I like smiling. Let's do it one more time. Some of you need a re- remedial course in it. Go ahead, go ahead, try one more time. All right, anybody not look, anybody not smiling? Let me look around. Okay, everybody's doing really good with the smile. I love it. Now, here's what, here's what King Asa did. He built cities. You know what cities are for? They're for community. You know what? When you seek the Lord your God, you get in community. You begin to smile. Have you ever noticed in cities, yeah, there's crime in cities, and there's parts that aren't working well, but by and large, there's cities, and there's families, and there's parks, and there's things for you to do. There's places to go. He built cities, and then he built walls, and those are for protection. You see, in your life, you have to have community, and you have to have protection. You have to have some walls in your life. Then he built some towers, some watchtowers, and those were for insight and perspective. They were to get the long view, and you got to get a long view on life because if you don't, you can miss out on what's coming and miss out on hope that's on its way. Then he built gates, and you know what gates are for? They're passageways for friends and for resources. You see, you could build a city and have no walls in it, I mean all walls and no gates, But now you can't let your friends in. Now you can't bring resources in. You can't go in and out. And so you want to have gates, but you have to know when to shut the gates and when to open the gates and who to open them to and who to close them to. And then he put bars on the walls. You see, bars are reminders that we are in a battle, but we still need the fresh air to come in. You see, it's got to pass through there. Let me give you some rules of engagement. You know, we talk a lot about rules of engagement. It's a, it's a part of, of the discussion that happens on the political arena. But here's one I want to give you. You have to close the gates in your life, the access points where the enemy wants to get in. What's the enemy trying to do in your life? Could you close that gate? Say, I don't want that gate open anymore. I'm closing that gate. Because if the enemy comes in, I'm in trouble. Maybe he's already come in and you need to push him out. You have to practice subtraction. Then you can close the gate and start multiplying inside the gates. Then you want to fill the storehouse. You know, when your house is full, it's a good thing. You know, my wife went shopping yesterday, and it's a good thing. She came home, look at these, and look at this, and look at that. And, you know, I get all excited, you know, and 
Look at that. I mean, it's almost could fill a table this size for $500. It was amazing. Right? Fill the storehouse. You know, you're, you're a storehouse, aren't you? You're a storehouse. You got to fill that storehouse. Fill it up with the Word of God. Fill it up with love. Fill it up with joy. Fill your storehouse up. There's stuff in there that's not good. Take it out and fill up the storehouse with the right kind of stuff. You see, when you try to, oh, and don't, don't negotiate with the enemies. You know, sometimes we just, we're talking to the enemy. Don't talk to the enemy. Leave him alone. That's Jesus' job to talk to the enemy. You talk to Jesus. You say, Jesus, I got a problem over there. Would you take care of it? Jesus, Satan's been knocking on my door all day. And he says, don't answer it. Let me take care of that. Let me take care of that door. Let me take care of that problem. You know, when you try to fight your own battles, you know what happens? God pulls back and he says, go ahead and try. Because he knows when you get frustrated, when things don't go well in your life, you'll turn to him. Am I right? You can fight all you want but you're not going to win. When you sit down and you let God fight your battles, he takes over and you win every time. Every time. God wants to be God. He just wants to be God in your life. We have to let him be God. Amen? Stand with me right now, would you? I want you just to bow your head, and I want you to, I want you to transfer some ownership right now. Maybe you'll say something like this. You know, God, I want to turn my battles over to you. I want you to be the joy of my salvation, Father. Just as I put a smile on my face when I looked at my neighbor earlier, God, I want to put a smile on my face all day long. I want your word to enrich me. Like King Asa, I want to seek the Lord. I want to take some stuff out so I can add some stuff in. I want to look with hope to the future. I want to be confident about the wins that I have. The, the small victories I have, God, they're just building blocks for what's going to come. So, God, would you take the little things right now that I have victory on and build my confidence up? God, I, I know we're in a battle, but, God, we're not in a battle that we can't win or haven't already won. So I just want to thank you for the battle. Because, God, you are the king and the commander-in-chief. And I give you praise and I give you glory. You know, I don't know if you've ever received Christ into your heart, but we don't want to leave you today without that opportunity to consider how much he loves you and what he did for you. Jesus Christ died on a cross. I grew up not really knowing why he did that. I knew he did. I heard about it. I even sang about it when we go to church once in a while. But I didn't know why he did that. Jesus Christ died in your place. See, the penalty of sin is death. What death means is separation from God. So when Jesus died, he died to bridge the gap of separation, to bring you into the presence of God. 
He says, I'll take your sin upon myself so you don't have to pay that price. So when he paid the price, he made the way clear for you to go into the kingdom of God. So Jesus died on the cross for you. Then he was put in a grave. He died for your sins, but he rose to give you new life, to give you eternal life. So when you call upon the name of the Lord, you have life. You say, Lord Jesus, I call upon your name. Would you save me and give me life? Almost seems too simple, doesn't it? But it's faith. It's what Jesus said. I don't want it to be complicated. I don't want you to think it's about you. It's about me. It's about what I did for you. I died, I was buried, and I rose again that you might have life. And the Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that a great promise from God? If you want to do that right now, just pray a prayer like this one with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you were buried and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And by faith right now, Jesus, I trust you. Come into my heart, Jesus. Save me. Write my name in your book of life. Call me one of your sons, one of your daughters, that I might know you now and I might spend eternity with you then. If that was your prayer, you asked Jesus to do that today. Would you just tell him with a show of your hand, God, here I am, and I, that was my prayer today. Just raise your hand up. Anyone? God bless you. Anyone else? Just raise it up. Never be ashamed. God says, I will honor those who honor me. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? God bless you. We're going to sing, uh, we're going to sing a verse here. And as we sing, would you just, I want you to take this time, whether you just met the Lord or whether you know him, you've known him for years, just to give him praise and say, God, you know what? We're in a battle that we've already won. Now we just need to sing about it and give him glory. Amen. So let's just sing through this one time. And, uh, and just let God just instill it in our heart, powerfully in our heart. Amen.